Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Well, good morning, Living Word. We're going to begin this morning a new few-week series. Not really serious, maybe a series. I don't know. We're just going to keep talking about the Holy Spirit. There's so much in the Word of God about the Holy Spirit. There's so much that He does. I mean, He is our comforter. He's our helper. It would take years to talk about everything that the Holy Spirit is. But um, I want to tie this in a little bit into to the series we just came out of talking about prayer because praying in the Spirit is a part of your prayer life. And we're actually going to talk about that in a few weeks. We're going to get there. Before we talk about how the Holy Spirit affects our prayer life, right, we have to know who He is. We want to learn about who the Holy Spirit is, right, what, what His role is in the Godhead, because we know it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But to learn about what he does and what he's called to do on this earth, we first have to understand who he is, right? We want to know his character, right? When I learn somebody's character, it's going to tell me more about their actions. When I learn who they are, it, it tells me why they do what they do, okay? So we know in Ephesians six eighteen it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the, in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We've been using that scripture for a long time. We're going to shift a little bit this week. We're going to come back to that scripture, but we actually want to talk about this. In John 14, 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, say, I love Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments, the things that I taught you, the things that I told you about when I was on this earth, okay? He says, if you love me and you keep my commandments, I will ask a father. He will give you another counselor, meaning just like Jesus. He's another counselor, meaning we already had a counselor. We had Jesus walking this earth. I will give you another counselor, but this one will be with you forever, right? He's not going to leave the earth until Jesus comes back again. He is the spirit of truth. Okay, the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him. Say, I know the Holy Spirit. Says it right here. There's times we've got to start using our mouth and engaging things you might have. Pastor Paul said, why does he have us repeat all this stuff? Right, because I'm getting you to activate your faith and join with me by saying things. That's what, remember, we talked about your words, talked about saying things. All right, there's a reason we do that, not just because you want to have somebody repeat after you, but it starts to help you understand things, right? How many take notes when you're in class, when you were in school, back in college, right? Some of us back in college was a lot long ago than other of us back in college, right? right? But there's something about writing something down or saying something out loud that changes the way that you receive it, how you remember it, right? There's something about the writing and the speaking that changes something in you. I've, I've started, uh, I'll have times where I go back and forth, but recently been really just when I'm in my quiet time and I'm reading, I read it out loud. I just want to read this out loud because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I'm going to read the word of God, I want to read it out loud and I want to hear it. I want this to really take root in me, okay? Now, it says you know him because he remains with you and he will be in you, okay? So the Holy Spirit was sent to this earth by Jesus 
to be like Jesus, another comforter, but actually greater. Now it says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we might understand, right, who what has been freely given to us by God. So the Holy Spirit is here to help us understand some stuff. He wants to teach us some things, okay? Now, we also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But, with, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. There's times when someone comes in, if they're not born again and given their heart to Christ, they're going to sit in church and they're not going to get anything out of it. It says it's foolishness to them. They can't understand this, right? But once you receive the Holy Spirit, it makes the Bible more clear. So I, I start every morning. Father, I want to read your word. Holy Spirit, show me. Teach me. Teach my spirit, man, from the spirit, being taught by the spirit so that I can understand spiritual things. How many times have you looked at a scripture and you're like, yeah, I don't get it. Not, not quite sure. I'm not, not understanding this. This seems a little bit complex, right? But then all of a sudden you grow spiritually or you're, you're maturing as a person and then you read it again and the Holy Spirit is teaching you and you're like, oh, I've never seen it that way before. And it starts to settle in. That's the Holy Spirit's work on the inside of us, okay? Now, we know that he, Jesus had to go away for the counselor to be sent to us because that's what it says in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is beneficial for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor can't come because if I go, I can send him to you. When he comes, he will do what? Convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. These are the first three things that we learn about the Holy Spirit on his purpose for coming to this earth, right? Are you supposed to convict people of their sin? Are you supposed to stand on the street corners and tell people you have sin in your life? <laughs> I love it how it says it right here in the scripture. I love it really says right here. It says we're not supposed to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But you know what will convict someone? You just shine in your light. Why? Because that's the Holy Spirit working through your recreated human spirit to project the love of Jesus, and then he begins to work on somebody, which is why I've told those of us that are out there reaching to people that are like, well, I just want them to come to church, right? I'd like them to be one of the 50, but they're just like, I don't know if church is for me, or I don't think I can come to church. That's where prayer comes in. You're not supposed to be the one that convicts. What happens is if you turn into the one that convicts, you take the place of the Holy Spirit and it pushes them away from things of the gospel. You'll realize that. that's why I was talking to Brock about this. They'll start to feel a push from you. It'll ruin your relationship because you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not. He, the Holy Spirit will convict them. He will bring other people across their path that say the same things. And they're like, man, I keep hearing this from every different angle. I can't seem to get away from this. There's this pursuing that the Holy Spirit does because he comes to convict the world about sin. Now, it says in verse 9 about sin because they don't believe in me. Our preaching and sharing is useless without the Holy Spirit convicting of their sin, right? We bring the answer, but it doesn't appear as an answer if they don't know they're in a problem, right? An answer doesn't look like an answer unless you understand the problem. You can have a math answer, but you don't know what the answer is to until you understand there's a problem. And so it makes no sense to you until you realize, right? Right? So if we bring the answer of Jesus is, wants to set you free, and they're like, Set me free from what? It's even harder with people that seem to have it all together. Right? Which is why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle. He's basically saying people that have found what they think are answers in this world, what they think will solve all their problems, right? 
tend, we tend to find the people that have all kinds of money because what do people with all kinds of money do? They try to use their money to change their problems. There's nothing wrong with that. They've just found that the answer to the problems that I'm discovering in this world are money. What they don't realize is money won't buy their way into heaven. It is nothing but more than something, a tool that we use in this earth. Now, money fixes some things, right? Because we live in a world that is based off a, a, a money society. I mean, this bartering for goods. Money can solve some problems. It can. It can solve some problems. It can put you into some different luxury status than other people, right? It can put you in a bigger house, bigger car. So, yes, money can change some things, right? I was very happy last night when we went on our date night. That money got me a car that had heated seats. In Florida, I was thankful for heated seats. Who'd have thunk it, right? We tried to move and escape the freezing cold. Of course, they had snow and two-degree weather, so it wasn't quite that bad in perspective. But nonetheless, I was thankful that my butt was warm. But money, money can't warm my soul like the seat warmed me. Money can't change your salvation. Money can't buy your way in heaven. And we'll go there in just a second. But convict him about sin, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and they, longer see, they will no longer see me. The Holy Spirit is the standard for right living and righteousness since Jesus was sent to the Father, is with the Father. He's our standard. He's our standard bearer in this earth. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. But I, I want to do this. The, the, whole, the Bible is full of symbolism it's full of one thing that is supposed to show you something else right have you ever tried to describe something to someone else when they've never seen it before i have never seen the inside of a transmission right but if jeff were to try to describe to me what the inside of it looks like he's going to have to come up with well you have seen this so it's kind of like that and this you know you don't see Exactly. And you figured out a way to do this, to describe something to someone who's never seen it based on things that they have seen, right? You know, the Bible's full of this. The Bible, obviously, the Holy Spirit is not visible to our natural eyes unless he makes himself visible, and that's up to him, right, if he wants to manifest in that particular arena. There's times where I've been in, I've been in church services where I've seen the glory of God, where you could feel the power of his presence and there's like a, like a cloud in the place. And it's, it's a phenomenal experience, right? Not something I ever want to try to create on my own. Anyway, there's symbolism in the Bible. There's symbolism all through the Old Testament, okay? And symbols are used to represent characters or facets, personalities, descriptive functions. That's what they're for, right? There's a reason Tampa Bay said, I'm going to pick a buccaneer. Because it has a meaning behind what it is. It's supposed to be aggressive and we're swashbuckling and we're wielding our sword. Be afraid of us, right? It's kind of like dolphins are like, you know, be afraid of us. And you're like, oh, okay, right? We were the, we were the Falcons in Illinois. Gibson City Falcons, right? Falcons swoop in and they find their prey. The neighboring town was the Fisher Bunnies, kid you not fisher bunnies but their logo was this rabid looking bunny with buck teeth and he was all gnarly i'm like you can't make a bunny look scary no matter how hard you try right but they're trying to represent strength and courage through a rabbit never got it my high school growing up was the knights and he had we had a guy come out on a white horse and he was in a knight and there's strength you're trying to represent something right so symbolism is used still today they're trying to take a symbol and make someone afraid of it. 
I mean, no one's really afraid of a Seahawk. So anyway, symbolism is one of those things where it represents something. Did you know that this was done all the way back in the beginning? Right? How many people have you talked to that think the devil is a snake? Now, I'm not a fan of snakes. Really, not a fan of snakes. And there's poisonous snakes in the South. Snakes will straight up kill you. Right? Venomous. Sorry. Venomous snakes. My college son correcting me. Venomous snakes in the South. But did you know the devil is not a snake? Not a snake. But when they were writing the Bible... They had to take something we could see to describe what they experienced. The devil's not a snake, but he came in like a snake, which tells us if he came in like a snake, he had characteristics of a snake. He was subtle. Snakes creep up on you, right? He was cunning. He was slowly moving. He had a slick tongue. See, there's characteristics of the snake to describe who he was so that we can understand it, okay? Right? The Satan is also called roaring like a lion. He tries to act like a lion even though he's not, right? He's called the father of lies. In the in Revelation it describes him as a dragon. This fierce dragon, right? Do you know it was the same with Jesus? Jesus was called the lion in the tribe of Judah, but Jesus is not a lion. He was called the lamb of God. Right? He was also called a rock. He was called the water of the word. He was a cloud by day and a fire by night. All these things describe Jesus throughout the Bible, but he was not actually those things. But we are to learn characteristics of who he is. If, he's, if we said he's as fierce as a lion, but as gentle as a lamb, now that makes more sense. He can rip your head off, but he's kind and compassionate and caring. Characteristics. Now, the Old Testament is types and shadows. Okay? The Old Testament is not where the New Testament believer or the modern church believer is supposed to live their life. Okay? It is types and shadows that prophesied and predicted Jesus' coming, his death, burial, resurrection, and even the Holy Spirit is proclaimed as prophesied. Okay? These are lessons that are not incorrect. We are supposed to read the Old Testament. It's supposed to guide us. It's supposed to teach us. It's supposed to show us things, right? But we're not an Old Testament church. We're a New Testament church. The Old Testament was still waiting for Jesus to come. New Testament, Jesus has already come. He's already ascended to the Father, and the Holy Spirit's here. Okay? So we're supposed to understand that. We are grounded in, as a church in the books of the epistles from Acts to Revelation. Those, that's our grounding. I tell everyone, if you are having a daily Bible study where you're not reading something from Acts to Revelation, if you spend your whole time reading in the Old Testament, you, you need to stop that. You, need, you can read a couple chapters in the Old Testament. There's stories to be learned, things to understand. But we need to spend a lot of our time in the New Testament. This was a letter written to us as a New Testament church on how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to think because it involves the Holy Spirit. Okay, now... We know the New Testament is where we're grounded. And it says this in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. His power gave everything. There's nothing missing from your walk with Christ. Because it says right here, everything required comes from Him. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you might share in the divine nature. In other words, by understanding the promises, you're going to share in the very nature of God. 
Jump all the way to verse 11. It says this, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is richly provided to you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. In other words, we're supposed to gather together every week and learn more and be reminded, right? If you're the preacher out there, and I've said this many times, this is many, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week and telling him this, this, right? If I'm the preacher out there, there's things I'm going to show up and I'm going to have a new revelation from where the word of God that no one else has ever discovered in the 2000 years this word has been out there, then I'm deceiving myself. I'm deceiving. What am I doing? I'm reminding you of something you should already know. Why should you already know this? Because you've had this information as long as you've, I've had some of you longer, some of you shorter, haven't been on earth as long as good old dad here, right? I'm just supposed to remind you. I'm supposed to say, hey, remember this scripture? This is kind of how it applies to something we're going through right now. Remember this scripture, right? Keep all these things in remembrance of me. We're supposed to be constantly reminded of these things, right? I'm going to remind these of you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. What is the present truth? The New Testament epistles right? See, what happens? We have the Old Testament, which is the picture. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is called the Gospels that tells us about Jesus coming and then shows us the way into the New Testament church. We have this picture laid out for us in the Bible. So I oftentimes will read a couple chapters from the Old Testament, right? Then I'll read something from the epistles. I've been going through John recently, just been loving the book of John, right? And then I'm going to read something in the New Testament. But you can read the entire Bible in a year, does that mean you just need to read it once and be done and move on? No. I, I guarantee you there's times where Jeff will get into a situation going, I've, at least me, I get in a situation going, all right, I've done this before. Maybe I think I might. It's been a while since I've done this. Where's the Chilton's, right? Did they still make Chilton's? That was what they were used back. It was the manual. You could pull it out and it would show you how everything was broken down. They called it the Chilton's manual back when I, it's been a long time since I worked on cars. I had a 71 charger. I had a Chilton's manual for, right? And there's times where I might know this, but I'm going to still pull out the manual and make sure, right? Your Christian walk's the same way. You might know this, but I'm going to pull out the manual, and I'm going to make sure I'm established in the truth that I have so that what I'm doing is accurate. I'm going to refresh myself. I'm going to remember. Accountants do this, right? There's so much accounting stuff out there, and they might know how to be an accountant. There's probably times they're going to go back and pull up the rules, right? Well, well, I don't know. The IRS might have changed something this year. You never know. So we study the present truth of the New Testament epistles, but we study the old covenant based on the types and shadows and what it teaches us, and it helps us better understand what Jesus did. The old covenant makes more sense when we have the light of the new covenant, okay, because they only had a partial light. We now have the Holy Spirit who's teaching us things. In 1 Corinthians 10, 6, it says, now these things took place as examples for us. He's talking about the Old Testament. He was actually talking about Abraham. These, thing, these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. In other words, the children of Israel had some issues with evil desires because every time they'd turn around, they were building idols. They were running from God. They wanted a man to be their king. There was all kinds of problems and issues. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear not, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your minds will be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know what? This is what Paul was basically saying. Don't be deceived. The gospel is pure, it's simple, it's easy, and your devotion to God should just be pure and uncomplicated. If your Christianity is complicated, then you're not doing it right because the gospel is simple. It really is simple. 
love the Lord your God. That's what Jesus said. Break it all down to this. Forget about all the rules of the Old Testament. Forget all about stuff they walk through. Love God. And then second to this, love people. Love God and love people. It's that easy. I mean, following Jesus is super simple. Love God, love people. That's what Jesus broke it down to. Now, there are a lot of symbols in the Old Testament that talk about the Holy Spirit. The very beginning of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is there, right? In the very first verse, Genesis 1.1, all the way back in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the face of the empty watery deaths. But the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the surface of the waters. You know what that word hovering means? It actually means brooding, which is what a bird does over, a, over something that's about to be born. It's this brooding. It's this incubating, this pondering, meditating. That's what brooding means. So the Holy Spirit was meditating over the presence of the waters. He was hovering over what was about to happen. He was there in the beginning, right? Which is why a lot of times when you'll see pictures of the Holy Spirit or you see the picturesque between that and the New Testament, he's like a dove, like a bird, like a dove, right? And it says when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was baptized, came down like a dove, right? Is the Holy Spirit a bird? No, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. It says he is like a dove because we're taking something we know to understand something about who he is. Do you know that same picture is all the way back? I don't even think I have this in my notes. All the way back in the ark? Remember when the end of the flood, right? There was the dove. Do you know that there's three representations of the dove? Was it the first, the dove came back the first time and he was muddy. There was nothing there. That's the Old Testament. Then what's happened when he came back the second time, he had a branch in his mouth. That was a representation of Jesus on the cross. And then the third time he didn't come back at all. And that means the Holy Spirit is still hovering this earth. And taking care of it because the dove represents the Holy Spirit. There's a picture of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the, the Old Testament's types and shadows. He was trying to show us things to come. He was trying to teach us things. But we wouldn't understand that without the completion of the New Testament to fully understand what the Old Testament was teaching us. Now, he is like a dove. Okay? You know what else he's like? The seal. In other words, he com there's a completion, a sealing. It, it references like a king that used to be, they would drip wax onto a letter and he would seal it as insignate. He is, they said our heart has the seal of the Holy Spirit. He's like a fire, the rain, the wind, the rivers, the dew, the water, our clothing. There's so much representation of the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit, but I really only want to focus on one particular thing today because otherwise we'd be going on for like six months. And maybe when we start a Wednesday service, we can dive into all the different aspects of the Holy Spirit because that's more of a Bible study than, than what we're doing right now. But I do want to focus on this because I think this is really, really important. The Holy Spirit is the oil of anointing, okay? He is the oil of anointing in the Old Testament. But if we understand the oil of anointing in the Old Testament, it helps us better understand the Holy Spirit and His anointing in the New Testament. Remember, types and shadows. So, the oil of anointing. Now, to understand the oil of anointing, we have to go all the way back to where the oil of anointing first came from, okay? And this was Moses after delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? They were wandering the wilderness and the Lord started showing and build a tabernacle. We talked about this a few weeks ago where the Holy of Holies and the presence of God would come down. But this oil of anointing representation of the Holy Spirit, all right, there's very specific. We'll go to Exodus chapter 30. 
Exodus chapter 30, starting uh, verse 22. Exodus 30, 22. The Lord spoke to Moses. This came from God. Okay? Take for yourself the finest. Let's stop there. The finest. The excellent. Oh, I left it in there. Excellent. The chief. The best. The Holy Spirit is the best. He's the best. There is none greater. He is the, the finest, the excellent. So take for yourself the best spices. Twelve and a half pounds of liquid myrrh. Half as much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon. Six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane. Twelve and a half pounds of cassia. Okay? And then it specifically says, by the sanctuary shekel. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And a gallon of of olive oil, specifically olive oil. Prepare from these a holy anointing oil and a scented blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the holy anointing oil. Now remember, this is holy, okay? This is the, the Holy Spirit is a holy, holy, <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. If you understand the holiness of God, you'll understand the holiness of the Holy Spirit. Now, couple things to note from this first couple of scriptures here. It was given by God, not by man. Okay? God specifically said how to make the anointing oil in the Old Testament. Now, he was simply given instruction by God. The oil had nothing to do with man. Man didn't think this up. Man didn't create it. Man didn't make it holy. Okay? This speaks to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which was given to man to use. It's a gift of God. Just like this was a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God for us. We don't make the Holy Spirit holy. He does. When the Bible speaks in the Old Testament about our God is a most holy God, it's referring to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, there's not one more holy than the other. We have to understand this, and let's, get a, let's stop and take a grasp of this. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all equally holy. They are all equally worthy. They are equally glory. When it says holy is the Lord God, he's talking about all three of them. When it says worthy is our, he's talking about all three of them, right? There is not one part of the Godhead that is more holy than the other. They are all equal in worth. Not one more valuable than the other. Equal worth across the board, okay? But there is rank. Not Worth, but rank. We have to understand this. But this rank comes through submission and authority. Jesus is submitted to the Father. The Holy Spirit is submitted to Jesus and the Father. There's rank, but they're all equally worthy. Right? My wife is submitted to the husband as a head of the house. But is she more worthy or less worthy than I am? No. Equal worthiness. My kids are submitted to mom and dad, but does that make them less worthy than I am? What happens when a person is in submission to another and they are as less worth? You have slavery. That's what you end up with. When you see them as less worthy, that's, and there are so many Christians that view their, their wives as less, and it, and it turns them into slaves, and then they wonder why they have marriage problems. Just because I have a different rank doesn't mean that God looks at us and sees her as less worthy. Our worth is equal. 
Okay, we have to understand that. And it's the same with God. There's a reason why God gave us this family structure and there's a reason why the devil's attacked it so much is because it's representation, right? Is your flesh any less worthy than your soul or your spirit? No, you are three-part being. God saved you all. He died for you all. He bled for you all. His salvation is for you all. His salvation is for the whole complete. If you get a hold of this, healing will take on a whole new meaning. He died for your body as much as he did for your soul and your spirit. He doesn't want you to be sick. He wants you to be healthy, healed, and whole. His price paid was for your complete being. But what happens when your flesh is first, your soul is second, and your spirit is third, and you live your life out of order? We talked about this. What happens if the kids run the house and then mom is second and dad is last? Your house is out of order and you'll have chaos ruling supreme. And your pantry will be full of sugar. So is your life full of sugar? Things that are sweet, that seem good, but have no value to you as a person. A lot of people that try to live life that way. See, when you're person is out of order it doesn't mean any you know just by saying i am a spirit first being and then i have a soul mind will and emotions and i live in a body does not make my body of less value or less valuable to god i have to have this body to operate in this earth to save the people that he cares about and he cares about me as a complete being there's there is some revelation power in this one we'll get a hold of it now the godhead are all equal but they know that in order to function, they have to have submission and authority, and they have to have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or else there'll be confusion because the Bible says something with more than one head, right? There's a problem. There's a problem. Now, it says in verse 26, with this, the anointing oil, you are to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table with all its utensils, the lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the basin with its stand, consecrate them, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and they will be especially holy. Whatever touches them will then be consecrated. Boy, when you poured this oil on all of this stuff, anything that touched that stuff then became consecrated because it was especially holy, okay? And then it says, anoint Aaron and his sons, the high priest, and consecrate them to serve me as priests. Now, in the Old Testament, the only ones that were ever anointed with the anointing oil that was described here was the prophet, priest, and king. That was it. The prophet, the priest, and the king were the only ones ever anointed in the Old Testament. They represent the best of the people, the head of the people, the future of the people, right? and the spiritual leading of the people. That's what it represents, right? So we are not anointed by the Holy Spirit or get indwelled by the Holy Spirit until we become a part of God's family. We can't be anointed until we're part of the family. Once you're part of the family of God, you then can have on the anointing that comes in or on your life and in your life, as we're gonna talk about in a few weeks, the Holy Spirit within you and the Holy Spirit upon you. We're going to cover that again because it ties in here, and I'll tell you that in a minute. Now, verse 31, tell the Israelites, 
This will be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. So we know this is for the Israelites, from God, for them and their generations. This is an Old Testament piece to represent what God's going to do in the New Testament church. Now, it must not be used for ordinary anointing on a person's body, and you must not make anything like it and use its formula. It is holy, and it must be holy to you. Do you know the Holy Spirit is holy, but if he's not holy to you, you'll get none of him? If there's no reverence, no respect, no holiness, how you view him will determine how much of him is on your life. Anyone who blends something like it or puts something of it, an unauthorized person will be cut off from his people is what it says. Which I didn't even have my notes, but all of a sudden the Lord's just saying, anybody who tries to act like they have the Holy Spirit or an unauthorized form of the Holy Spirit is going to be cut off. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So my goodness gracious. So what does it boil down to? The one thing the anointing oil teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is excellent. He is the best. There is none like him. Everything the Holy Spirit brings us is excellent. Everything he brings us is the best. One gift that he brings us is not better than another gift. Jesus was not a better gift than the Holy Spirit. He did not say, I'm sending you a better comforter. He's saying, I'm sending you another comforter. Because he was already the best. And he continued to send you the best. Because they're all the best. Right? He said, I'll send you another one. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, maybe next week, maybe the following, but there's, there's tongues and interpretation. There's words of wisdom, words of knowledge, right? These are all gifts that come from the Holy Spirit, and not one is better than the other. If one gets up and prophesies, he's not any better or less than one who had a word of wisdom or word of knowledge or gifts of tongues. None of these are better than the other. They're all excellent. They're all good. And I do think, you know, I've been editing our podcasts. I go back and I have to edit the podcast. And I like to go through and listen to the entire thing just in case there's something in there. And very few things, if we, you know, the, the more I minister, the less things get edited out because I'm editing them before I ever say them. I figure if it doesn't need to be on recording, probably doesn't need to be said. And I just need to. But I was listening to the recording that we talked about last week and I made the comment on there. And I thought, I'm not wrong in my comment, but I need to clarify a little bit. I said prophecy right? The simple gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. But you know this about prophecy? Prophecy is a vehicle, right? I drive a car. I also drive a semi, okay? There are two different kinds of things that do two different kinds of stuff, right? If I tried to load the 150 garage doors into my car, I'm going to have problems, right? But they both do something, right? How many of you came today in a car, all right? So are you a car? No. But you came in the car, right? So prophecy is the same way. Do you know a word of wisdom, which is about the future, can come through the simple gift of prophecy, but doesn't make it prophecy, makes it a word of wisdom. But it came in the prophetic gift. So the prophetic gift can have word of wisdom, word of knowledge. There's the gifts of the Spirit can come through prophecy. Prophecy is like a, like a car, like a vehicle, delivering something. And what it delivers will vary based on what the Lord is sending, right? He's the shipper. He's the one sending gifts to men as he wills. It's 
Sometimes it feels like that at work. Oh, this is what we got this time. And I wasn't sure what was coming, you know. <laughs> Just kidding, you know. It's like Amazon at our house. Whoa, what came to Amazon this week? You know, I've done forgot I ordered this. Woo, you know. But no, the Lord is sending good gifts. Better than Amazon gifts. Amen. I'll edit all that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I do want to clarify that. Prophecy can have, have future things, right? That, and we'll talk about all of this. But word of wisdom is something for the future. Word of knowledge is something that is known now, right? But those can all come through the gift of prophecy. Does that make sense? So I want to clarify that just a little bit. But anyway, the Holy Spirit gives severally as he wills is what the Bible says. I can't stand up here and produce a word of knowledge or produce through my spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit through my spirit, through the giftings he placed in my life to give as he wills, not as I will. Not my controlling, his controlling. Now, one last thing for today Let's, let's break this down just a little bit. I, this is kind of the last picture I want to show for today. Let's break down exactly what it describes in the Old Testament because every, there's a reason that God details things at times. And if we'll dive into the details, today's going to be a little more of a teaching, right? But I want you to understand this. Let's dive into the details of the anointing oil to understand more about who the Holy Spirit is. What's the very first thing that it says to take? Myrrh. Now, most of us don't realize that myrrh is in the anointing oil. Most of us realize that was one of the gifts that Jesus got when he was born, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Myrrh. And we're like, what is myrrh? I don't know what myrrh is. Most people don't know what myrrh is, right? It's actually a gummy substance taken from a tree. It's kind of like sap, but it's out of a specific tree, in the Middle East, okay? It's like this gummy substance, right? But you can cut the tree open, damage the tree, and harvest the myrrh. But he told them in the Old Testament to only take what was on the outside of the bark, not to damage or cut the tree. Specifically told them this. Because it was God saying, I'm going to provide this for you. It's, this is all me, not you. You don't damage the tree. You don't cut the tree. This is me providing this because this whole holy anointing oil is a gift from God, not from man. Okay? So this is God saying, I don't want help from man. Took, take what comes from the outside. This is a gift. Myrrh speaks of grace because grace is a gift from God. It's undeserved. We don't deserve to have what's on the outside of the tree. It's seeped out on its own and it's a gift just like grace. The Holy Spirit is the grace gift from God. It says this, even the ministries from the Holy Spirit are called his graces. That's what they're called. Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Ephesians 4, 7, now the grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12, 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation, in giving, give generously. If leading, lead with diligence, showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. All a grace gift from God. The Holy Spirit through myrrh is described as grace. And myrrh has these qualities to it. It actually has a purifying effect. 
Now, we know this in Esther 2.12. Myrrh is fragrant. It has, a, it has an intense odor to it. It actually smells, right? We learn this in, in Psalms 48.8. It's rare. Because they had to wait for it to come to the outside of the tree, they couldn't go intentionally try to find this. They had to wait for the gift. It's rare. See, too many people are trying to chop down the things of the kingdom to get to the Holy Spirit when he's saying, I'm trying to give this to you as a gift. But the rarity of the Holy Spirit is a treasure, making it that much more valuable, okay? We also learn in Matthew 2.11 that it's costly. But here's the thing about cost in the kingdom, and we have to understand this. There is a kingdom principle when it comes to the cost of the holy anointing oil and the Holy Spirit. God said, I'm going to give this to you free. Now, as Americans, we're going, oh, it's free, right? You see free stuff on the curb all the time. If it's free, it's probably broken. Something's wrong with it. You know, this free thing that they're handing out is probably second best. We have this connotation as free being something that's not good. But here's how God views free, okay? God says, this is so valuable that if one man in this earth had all the riches from the entire world, he still could not afford the gift that I have to give. You could never afford. You could never accumulate enough wealth. You could never do enough right things. There is nothing you can do to ever be able to pay or afford the price of this gift. So because it is that valuable, I'm going to offer to you free because it's that valuable. See, we need to look at free just a little bit differently when it comes to things of the gospel. The price was so high that he had to pay it himself. He said, I can't bring you into the kingdom. There's nothing you can do. I'm going to have to pay the price for you. It's just too valuable. That means that frees a whole, that carries a whole new meaning, a whole new meaning of value. Myrrh was costly. The Holy Spirit came at a price that was paid that we couldn't even afford through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, through the blood of the perfect Savior was the price that was paid so that he could go to heaven and send the Holy Spirit to be our comforter. We have to remember, he's valuable. The second thing that went in the holy anointing oil was cinnamon. And it's just like cinnamon we use today, right? You know the thing about cinnamon, right? Mom likes to make um, oatmeal with apples and cinnamon, right? And wasn't there, there was something that Haley made recently and had a lot of cinnamon in it. Way too much cinnamon. <laughs> Because what happened after you eat it, like three days later, you're going, I still taste cinnamon. Like it, it just sticks with you. Yeah, it was like, oh, that's right. It was the caramelized apples, but it had so much cinnamon in it. You're like, I am tasting cinnamon for days, right? The cinnamon challenge, right? It, it has a lasting taste. It has a lasting effect, which I find it interesting in the New Testament. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you know he has a lasting taste as well? Tasting becomes a type of faith. Faith grows as a desire knowing that the taste from heaven is always good. It's always good. He gives us nothing that's bitter or sour. Everything he has, it says his word is like a sweet honeycomb. There is a taste behind it. There is when you experience the taste of the Holy Spirit, Oh, you want more. You can't get enough. 
right? It tastes so good and so sweet. Have you ever had a meal so good that the very mention of that meal, you can taste it. You're like, oh man, I want to have that. That is so good. <gasps> Pastor's pot pie. <laughs> I can taste it. I can taste it. My mouth is salivating. That's a pot pie that Miss Jennifer made for me. She called it Pastor's pot pie. Oh, it was good. It had a little peppery too. It. it was a little spice. And of course, they're putting hot sauce on it too. I didn't put any hot sauce. Maybe next time. I'll get there. But it was so good that you can taste it. You've had meals that way, right? I've had steak that way, right? I've had, there's certain things. The Holy Spirit is like that. There's a reason cinnamon is in this because when you taste of him, well, you want more. You want more of his presence. You want more of who he is. You just start to crave and desire more of that, which leads us into this. It says the sweet cane, which is calamus, which actually comes from a reed but it's aromatic. It has an intense smell to it, right? It's known for its aroma. Now, there are people in this world that don't like the taste of coffee. I know, it's a shame, isn't it? It's just shameful, shameful. But a lot of those people that don't like the taste of coffee will walk in and go, oh, the smell of coffee, oh, it smells so good. Oh, I don't want to drink it. That's, yeah. But it smells so good. They love the aroma of coffee, but not the smell of coffee, right? The Holy Spirit will use aroma to draw you in so that you taste and see that God is good. You ever walked in the house and they were making bread and you're like, oh, oh, oh I can smell the or fresh chocolate chip cookies. And you smell the cookies and you're like, I taste, I want to taste and see that these cookies are good, Right? Do you know the Holy Spirit's the same way? Do you, he made us in his image. He gave us who we are as a complete person to be like him. We just think that these things are for things of this world, but no. He uses that smell as a drawing. There's a drawing factor to the Holy Spirit. He draws us unto himself. You'll feel that pull from the Holy Spirit to taste and see that God is good. That's what that sweet cane came from. Whenever the Holy Spirit convicts someone, it's a drawing effect. But you know the thing about the smell is this. I can smell cookies all day long. But until I taste and see, it never satisfies. The smell, the draw of the Holy Spirit will not satisfy the inside of you that wants to be saved. The drawing effect is strictly to bring us in so that we taste and see that the Lord is good. The smell is to draw us in. Conviction is the same way, but salvation is what satisfies. Now, the second thing it says, or the, other, the second to last, is cassia. Okay? Now, cassia represents the hidden piece of the Holy Spirit. Cassia is actually found on the back side of bark. So you have to peel the bark off, and it's on the back side of it's. It's hidden from the outside. Not inside the plant, but outside in the back side of the bark. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to manifest Jesus Christ, but he's invisible. He's the hidden one. He said he was sent here to magnify him, not to glorify himself, to magnify Christ. See, he's like that hidden component. He's here to lift Jesus high, the one who paid the price. Do you see how he draws men to Christ, not to himself? Because it was Christ's price that was paid that gets us to God the Father. See, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And then the last piece of this anointing oil is olive oil. 
That's the base, gallon of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil, right? But you know how you get olive oil? You got to crush the olive. You got to crush it. This represents the Holy Spirit was given to us after Jesus was crucified, after he was crushed, pressed down on the cross. Now, I found this interesting, and I didn't know this earlier. We were talking about the Garden of Gethsemane in a sermon a little while ago. We're talking about the Garden. Jesus, when he was praying in the Garden. But did you know that that Garden of Gethsemane is not a singular place? I didn't know this until I started diving into olive oil a little bit. Gethsemane is a a reference talking about the press style and design used to crush the olives. It'd be like saying Smith and Weston. Right, You realize you hear Smith & Weston, but you don't think of the, the name or a place. You think of what it represents. Right, So the garden, there were meant there. Actually, if you go to Israel today, there are many Gethsemanes at bases of mountains and places where there are olive groves. The Gethsemane is where the olive is gathered and crushed, which is why it tells us he went to the Garden of Gethsemane because that was the initial point where he started to bear the weight and crushing of our sin was in the garden. That's why he was praying. He was starting to experience the pressure, the weight, and the crushing from the sin of humanity. Now, what it's done is they, they, they bring the olives in and the Gethsemane is actually rented out by different people. It's communal. Okay, and you'll bring your olives in from your harvest, and it's this giant rock that is carved out in this circular function, but it has grooves in it, right? And then you pour your olives into the Gethsemane, and then you roll the giant stone on top of them, because they didn't have a lot of mechanics back then, they're doing everything manually. They roll the giant stone and begin to roll the stone over the olives. And as that oil is crushed out, it runs out through the grooves and then is gathered into the gathering place. And that's how the oil is harvested from the olives. Now, we know that it's our sin that crushes Jesus. But his crushing and the price that he paid produces the oil of anointing that we now carry today. This is the picture that was given to us. But what crushed him was our sin. Which... It's another one of those things that if you swell on it too long, you think about it for a long time, you realize when Jesus is suffering on the cross in agony, it was because of me. It's because the choices that I made were wrong. Sins that I did in this earth caused him pain. And that'll just, that'll bring tears to your eyes. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the crushing of our sin was upon him. By stripes were healed. You know, as we come into Easter here in a month or two, when he died on that cross, he was carrying the weight of my sin. The weight of my sin. What it's supposed to do is make you look at your life and go, I want to try to live from this moment on. I've now learned, Father, forgive me. 47 years old, and I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. A lot of things I'm not proud of. A lot of things that I've had to repent for. A lot of things that brought him pain. But he chose to do it anyway. Father, help me from this day forward not live in sin. 
not have any more sin that brings any more pain onto you. Don't let it be me that brought you more anguish. Don't let it be me. But it's the result of that crushing that brings us the Holy Spirit. The last piece is this in Exodus 30 to 24, which we just read. But it says there's five hundreds of shekels of cassia according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, I had to look this up. In the marketplace and the Jews, they did everything by weights and measures. They would carry around this little scale with them, right? And they would put on shekels on one side that weighed a certain amount so that there was a consistent weight towards what they were purchasing. But, because there was sin in humanity, and there were Jewish people that were known to be shrewd, they would use thin shekels when they were trying to buy or sell something, right? And fat shekels when they were trying to buy something. They were trying to rig the scales to get more money, right? But Jesus, when he, when he was given this, when, when God told Moses about this, he said, use the shekels of the sanctuary. Because the shekels that were used in the sanctuary when it came to God things were known to be double thick, it says, literally, says they were supposed to be double. In the marketplace, it was used to cheat people, but he said in the sanctuary, this is double. So in other words, everything God gave us in the holy anointing oil is double. Which ties into what we know in 2 Kings 2.9. says, and so it was when they had crossed over Elisha, or Elijah said to Elisha, which a lot of people get this wrong, Elijah right, is actually representative of Jesus, Elisha, the church. And it says, what, before I'm taken away from you, Elijah went up into heaven. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. That double portion is the Holy Spirit that's given to us. We get the double portion because Jesus went to the Father. Because when the Holy Spirit was measured out in anointing, well, it was double everything, according to the shekels of the sanctuary. In John 14, 12, it says, Most surely I say unto you, He who believes in me and the works that I do, but he will do also, and greater works. In other words, that we're supposed to have more than what Jesus had, which ties into the double portion. Because the holy anointing oil is double. We're supposed to do more with the Holy Spirit's help than was done by Jesus when he was on this earth. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do because the Father will be glorified in the Son. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. In other words, we're supposed to be asking for the double portion, the double anointing, the double of everything. That Holy Spirit is supposed to be double in our life. He's double. I'm going to keep saying double until we understand how much the Holy Spirit anointing is. He said, I want this measured out in a double portion. Now, I'm going to go ahead and end there for today made it through most of the notes. I think I made it through all the scriptures that I had put up on there. But I want to I talk about this. We're going we're to begin to go through. Today was more of a teaching instead of, of preaching. I want you to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he's represented in the Old Testament. But when we get, begin to talk about what he does in the New Testament, the gifts of the Spirit. And I do also want to clarify a few other things that were, I think that over the years we kind of misunderstood. But the gifts of the Spirit, the callings of God, the gifts of Jesus before he left this earth, and then the gifts of the, produced by our Spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start talking about all these over the next few weeks so you can understand the Holy Spirit's role and purpose in your life. That Holy Spirit is supposed to be helping you every single day. He's supposed to come and be your counselor. He's your guide. He's the one that gives you wisdom, helps you make decisions, helps you go down the right path, helps you to avoid calamity. I pray every day, Holy Spirit, guide me as I'm driving down the road to not end up in accidents that I see every single day. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. 
guide me, direct me, keep me safe, hold me in your hands, right? That's how he's supposed to be everything to us. He's supposed to be helping us and guiding us. Amen? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your anointing and your power in our lives. Father, as we learn about your anointing over the next few weeks, Father, help us dive deeper into you, Holy Spirit. Show yourself strong on our behalf. Begin to minister in this place and speak out through willing vessels, Father. Begin to speak out through us. Use our voice to proclaim things that you want said and you want known. Father, we yield to you. Lord, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. We yield to you, sir. Thank you for all the things you're going to begin to teach us and show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcasts. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.